We're kicking off a new sermon series today, and we're going to be exploring a part of the Bible that was, for me personally, was a very important part of my faith journey. I was 19 years old. I was in a lot of trouble, and I'd just been through a lot of things, and there was a mentor of mine, a guy who walked alongside me, and he walked me through this this part of the Bible and help me, what it did for me, and actually what I hope it does for you too, is that it regrounded me in the truth of who God is and who I am in light of that. And it helped me to deal with my own sin and my own failure. It helped me to grow in my love and my knowledge of Jesus and just walking in the truth day by day. So it is a personal joy to be exploring these texts with you. So we're going to spend the next few weeks in this part of the Bible, way in the back, the letters of John. And there's three of them. We call them 1st John, 2nd John, and 3rd John, of course. Uh, they're very brief letters. Actually, 2nd and 3rd John. We'll be able to preach each of those on one Sunday because they're just very short letters. Uh, two of the shortest books of the Bible. And these letters, of course, written by John. He was one of Jesus' disciples, as you know. Uh, he was one of the twelve. But of, of all the disciples, he had a very close relationship with Jesus. He had a very personal, uh, tight relationship. He was part of Jesus' inner circle. And so he was very close to Jesus. And now it's the very... Uh, it's very late in his life. He, at this point, it's in the 90s AD, and he's a very old man, but he's still got a lot of fight in him. And he's not so old that he is not ready to just contend for the truth of who Jesus is and to fight vigorously for that truth. So he's now uh, writing these letters to a, a church that he seems to know very well. He seems to be very familiar, very uh, close to this church in what we believe is either in the city or right near the city of Ephesus, which today would be in western Turkey. And uh, he is writing this letter so that the people who read the letter will know for certain that they are children of God, that they might be sure that they have eternal life in God, that they might walk in that truth and they might walk in that love. And, and also he wrote the letters so that they would be able to, to test, to test their own faith, but also test the messages they were hearing to say, are these messages true? And we can know truth. We can know the truth of God because God is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And it's important for us, for every one of us, because we live in a world where it's, it can be hard to know what is true and what isn't true. We live in a world where there's fake news. We live in a world where we hear these promises from advertisers, that are just advertisers, just wild promises that we know can't possibly be true. Uh, we, we hear half-truths. And we are people, though, we go about this so much information, so many messages. We need to be asking ourselves, what is true? And here uh, this morning, I want to look at uh, something that was going on in the church that was not true. And, and, and to understand how we can really ground ourselves in this truth. So let us pray as we approach God's word together. So Father, as, as our Lord Jesus said, that we will know the truth and that that truth will set us free. And we want to know your truth. And as we look at your word, help us to understand it. 
We pray that you would be our teacher. You pray, I pray that you would just illuminate our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand what this is and what this means, Lord. Help us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This passage of Scripture, this part of the first letter that John wrote, is a warning. And John was writing to the church. He's saying, I want you to watch out for something. And you need to walk in the truth and you need to avoid the lie. So the two things today I want to think about is what was the lie that was happening and being told? And how do you avoid it? And how, did, how were these people instructed to avoid it? And if this lie exists in our world today, how do we avoid it? But before we talk about the lie, I want to say a few words about the truth. Because when we talk about truth, there's different ways that people understand that today. There's really two main ways that we understand truth. There's a very new way of looking at truth where... People believe that truth is something that everybody shapes for himself or herself. That you might say, well, you believe this about God and I believe something different about God and we both have a truth. And that's something that you form and you shape for yourself. That's one view. There's a more traditional understanding of truth. That truth is truth whether you believe it or not. So you could say, well, maybe there's a God or maybe there is not a God, but you, but only one of those things can be true. And you better be sure and certain that you're on the right side of that truth because truth has implications for our lives. The truth shapes us. It shapes even our whole eternity. This is, when I talk about truth, this is the type of truth I'm talking about. That certain things are true and certain things are not. So you could say, well, is truth something we shape or is, is truth something that shapes us? And I say truth is something that shapes us. You can believe with all your heart that you can walk through that wall. And then you go do that. That truth is going to shape you. It's going to shape your face. No matter how sincerely you believe, you can walk through the wall. So that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's truth. It's, it's objective. It's real. It's not just something you make up. And you, I hope you understand my point now. But, um, we, but because we live in a world where people don't necessarily believe in that kind of truth, particularly about God, you may say, look, I know God. I, I believe confidently that I am a child of God. And I, that I know that I'm saved. I know that I have eternal life. And somebody might hear you say that and say, you, no, you're pretty arrogant. You, you think you're a child of God? You think you're saved? You must think you're pretty hot stuff. Because how can you possibly know that as true? And with all due respect to that person, I really disagree. Because they're using a standard that they wouldn't use for anything else. If that same person asked me, are you married? I would say, yes, I'm married. I'm Assured that I'm married, I'm very confident, confident that I am indeed married. And they would look at me and say, look at you walking around all married, so confident that you're actually married to someone. And I'd say, well, I have, um, I have a piece of paper. It's issued by an authority greater than myself. It's a wedding license from the state of New Hampshire. 
And it declares that I am married. I could show it to you. But beyond that, that marriage license points to an event in human history, June 2nd, 2001. I had to look. I just make sure I get it right. <laughs> this is on video. Um, June 2nd, 2001, it points to an event in human history, and there were witnesses there. There was a whole room full of witnesses who saw and celebrated that event in human history. So I have a piece of paper with the authority higher than myself. I have uh, an event in human history, and beyond that, I've got 17 years where I am so certainly convinced that I am married to this woman that just day in, day out, I get it. I am married. You can call me arrogant. And when we think about our faith, that's all that God has done for us. He has given us the right, the, the, the legal standing to be declared his children. And of all the authority of God in his word declares that it is true. Not only that, but his word points to an event in human history. The life, the sacrificial and atoning death of Jesus, his resurrection from the grave. This is, this, these are things that happened in human history. And there were many witnesses who saw it who grieved his death, who celebrated his resurrection. So there was witnesses. And beyond that, God has given us his spirit that day in, day out, his abiding presence that we experience God in our everyday. So we can say, yes, I believe that I am God's child. I believe God is who he says he is in his word and that I have his spirit that confirms it in me. If you believe that you are a Christian, you believe you know God, it's because he's given that to you. And quite honestly, I, it's hard to call that arrogant because I did nothing to earn it. His word says that it's only by grace that you're saved, not by, not by the things you do, not your works, not your good deeds. It's not because you're hot stuff. It's because of his grace that he gave that to you. And that you can be confident. So you can't boast. The Bible says no one can boast. Ephesians chapter 2. So we are, as we focus on the truth of that, we're talking about something that can be known, we can be confident of. So what is the lie? Or who are these liars that John is writing about? Look at verse 19. It says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. So this is a group of people in this church who, because of their teaching and because of their beliefs, they removed themselves from the fellowship of the church. And he's saying they had to remove themselves because they are not speaking the truth. They are liars. And so they had to separate themselves. Now, there is no perfect church. There is no, that I know of, there is no one church that gets every single little tiny detail correct in every way. However, there are core truths of our faith that we share with Christians all around the world. And these truths are so core and fundamental to what we believe that if you do not hold those core teachings, you are no longer a Christian. You may be teaching something very nice, 
You may have a community of people around you, but it is not Christianity. And this particular group in this church, there was a core belief that they did not grasp. And because of it, John calls them antichrist, which is a word that means against Christ or in opposition to Christ. Uh, and I mean, just look at verse 18. So it's, it's printed on the back of your bulletin. That first verse there says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. Now this is not meant to be an end times prophecy. He, uh, John is just living in the reality that since the time of Jesus, we are living in the end times. And, and he's just acknowledging the truth of that. So people ask me all the time, they say, Pastor, do you think we're living in the end times? I say, yeah. We're all living in the end times because Jesus uh, has ascended to heaven and he's promised to come back. And scripture is very clear he's coming back. Also very clear we don't know when. So we live lives that are in these last days awaiting the return of our Savior. And there will be a, uh, an ultimate opposition to Christ, the, the Antichrist. But even now the spirit of what that is, this Antichrist Way exists in the world in a lot of ways, and here's one expression of it. Um, so, so what is it? What is this uh, de- deceiving, lying type teaching? Here it is, verse 22. Very clearly, it says this: "Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the antichrist." Denying the Father and the Son. So it was more than just saying Jesus wasn't the Savior. It's, it's denying the Father and the Son. It's denying God the Father and God the Son. It's, it's denying that Jesus was fully God, was the issue. As we understand historically, this way of teaching was, con- was, was I'm not common, but it was known in that day. Uh, this group would fit in a category we call the Gnostics. And one of, the, uh, one of the teachings of the Gnostics was that the physical body is bad. That the matter in the physical world is bad. And special spiritual knowledge and understanding is, is what we should pursue. Therefore, because they believed that, they did not believe that Jesus could be fully man and fully God. They may have taught that Jesus was a man that God gave you know, divine power to for a period of time, but not that Jesus was fully God. But we as Christians believe that Jesus was both fully God and fully human. So they also believe that God could not suffer and die, which we as Christians believe that God suffered and died on our behalf to save us. Now that's what they taught then. Is that taught today in our world? And the answer is yes. There are groups of people, a people of faith, who deny that Jesus is God. For example, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses do not teach that Jesus was fully God. And now some of you may have grown up in those traditions. Some of you may have family members and friends and people you love who are in those traditions. And these are not bad people, but they are people who deny that Jesus is is fully God. In congregational churches, so we are a congregational church, in our country, there are congregational churches who drifted away from the truth that Jesus was fully God and they drifted into what we call Unitarianism. 
So the church in which you're sitting is called, the building is owned by the Trinitarian Congregational Church. The reason that this church was planted was because the North Parish Congregational Church uh, moved away from Trinitarian theology, meaning they believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that God is one God in three distinct, eternally distinct persons. And they became the North Parish Unitarian Church. And then the, the folks who believed the truth of Jesus, that Jesus is God, founded the Trinitarian Church in which you sit today. So we, we see it today. And there's another expression of it are Christian churches or churches that call themselves Christian who say, we are Christians because we follow Jesus's teaching. We follow Jesus' teaching to love your neighbor. We follow Jesus' teaching to bring justice into our world, to bring peace into our world. And they, they say, you know, the parts about Jesus with the miracles and the whole resurrection thing and all the divine, you know, Jesus is God. We don't really need that because we follow Jesus' teaching. But here's the problem. In our world, we don't need a good teacher. We need a savior. If I just needed a good path and a way to be nice, I could probably find it, but that's not what I need. I mean, I, I need a savior. If, if we deny that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus was God, that we deny the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that nothing we can do, nothing good in loving you do can ever reach up to heaven and reach back to God, that we are so broken and dead in our sin that we are separated from God, that God had to come from heaven to earth to save us. We could never get there. We could never earn it. He had to come here. And that's why John is using such strong language. He doesn't just say, well, hey, church, we believe that Jesus was God who came to save us. They don't believe that, and that's okay. He said, no, they don't believe that, and they are liars. It's not just an opinion I don't agree with. It's a flat-out lie. Because they're denying a core truth of the reality of the world. It, it's anytime we deny that, you know, denying the existence of God, denying the fact that we live in a moral universe, and, and, and here, for Christians, denying that Jesus was God is, is just a lie. And he's using such strong language. Look at verse 23, because look at the effects of this. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. You, he's saying you can't have God without Jesus. Because if you deny Jesus, you, you deny God the Father, for they are one. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And there is no other name by which you can be saved but the name of Jesus, Acts 4.12. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And if Jesus was not God, then it's like this. Picture this. I'm, I'm out west, and I'm with my family, and we're hiking through the wilderness. Just out for a family hike, camping. And we accidentally walk in between a grizzly bear and her cub. And, and this bear is huge and angry, and that bear is charging and wants blood. And we're all frozen in fear. Nobody knows what to do. But I, because I'm the father and I'm the man there, 
I know what to do. I take my son Calvin, he's 12 years old, I take him and I throw him to the grizzly bear who mauls him and we get away. I saved everyone else. Now that may be funny, that may be, that's gruesome. But that's actually the picture that you paint if Jesus is not God. Not equal to the Father. But a created being that God made to take the wrath. What you do if you believe that is you turn God into a very cruel person. Uh, an awful person who created a son to suffer because he was unwilling to do so himself. If, however, you believe that Jesus is indeed fully God, then God himself is the one who stood in the path. That God is the one who took the pain and the death and he was pinned to the cross personally for you because of your sin to save you. That's what we believe. What does this look like today? Again, there's these groups, again, not bad people, people who do nice things in our community, people who you are friends with, people who you are related to. These are, but these are people who, these groups specifically deny that Jesus was fully God. But also anybody who talks of God without acknowledging Jesus is also living in this same lie. So you may have a coworker, and you go to work and you say, hey, I've got this coworker. They're really into God and they're really into spirituality, but that person does not acknowledge Jesus in any way. You see, there's people who see God as eternal beauty or cosmic energy or the absolute oneness of all things. And it's great that they are spiritual people. But that is not what we believe about God because we have Jesus. We know what God is. So we have Jesus. So we know that God came and was born as a baby in a stable. God in human flesh. We have the ministry of Jesus, which was received by the sinners and the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all the bad people and the religious elite missed it. And Jesus said, they're entering the kingdom before you. Because it was, it was, God came to speak the grace of his kingdom to people who could understand it, who needed a savior. And Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the father. We see in Jesus and in the cross of Jesus, we see that God suffers and he sacrifices himself for you and for me. And we need to remember, we need to hold out Jesus. We need to speak the name Jesus. We need to pray in the name of Jesus when you have an opportunity to pray for somebody. And in, in your everyday life, we believe in Jesus. Not some ambiguous God, it's Jesus. He was uh, who he was and he accomplished what he accomplished on the cross. And that is the truth. And we do everything we can to avoid the lie very quickly. Two things. One is God's word, verse 24. As you see, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And if it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. He's saying, look, don't forget the teaching that you heard from the beginning. And we have that teaching. We have the apostles' teaching. We have the Bible. And we know the Bible. And we, we study the Bible. And we treasure the Bible. And Later in this letter, John says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
And I just commend you. If you, if, if you don't have someone in your life, a good friend or a small group, who you are looking into God's word with, who you are going back to, the things that we've heard from the beginning, studying them, treasuring them, understanding them together, find that person, get into that group. We will help you do it. Because this regrounds us and it keeps us from the lie. Secondly, God's spirit. Verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And, and all of you know truth. And then skipping down to verse 27. Again, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he taught you, remain in him. So we have God's word, which is very objective. We have his spirit, which is more subjective, but it's no less true. And we need God's word and God's spirit to remind us of the truth, to teach us. And it's his spirit that, that it's the truth that grabs you. It's the truth that unsettles you. It's the truth that grabs you right at your center. It's the kind of truth that you want to run away from, but you know you can't. Because it's real and it's true. It's a pulling, it's a, it's a knocking on the door of your life. Both are important. We take that, that truth of God's spirit pulling us towards him. We take his word. And those things keep us from this lie that he, God did not come. That Jesus was not fully God. Do you know the truth? Do you know that Jesus came and he suffered for you? That you might have life in him. You are his you have eternal life. You have his spirit, the anointing of his spirit to guide you and remind you. And you're going to leave here. You're going to go into your everyday. You're going to see things that you have. You're not sure if it's true or not. You're going to hear all kinds of messages and half truths and whatever confusion, whatever struggle you have, you take with you. God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus. He said, I am the truth. And you have that truth with you and you can be so certain of it. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would be people who stand in your truth. We thank you that you give us confidence in who you are. We thank you that you've given us your word and your spirit to, to remind us and to assure us, Lord. Keep us from all error. Help us to, whatever we don't understand, whatever confuses us, confuses us, whatever hurts us, Lord, I pray that we would stand firm in the truth that we are your children, that you have given us eternal life, and that you will never leave us or forsake us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.